Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for being here with us. As Americans, of course, we're, we're very proud of our freedoms. Our founders risked everything they had to gain them, many more have given their lives to maintain them, and we must always remember them and never forget the bravery and sacrifice that paid for our freedoms that we're here to celebrate today. Please join me for a brief prayer. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Today's message is called, We Are Free to Be, dot, dot, dot didn't complete the thought. We love to say to our kids, you're free to grow up to be anything you want. That sounds great, but it's not exactly true. I, I really wanted to be a pro football player, but I was a little too small and a little too slow and a lot too other things too. Um, we are generally free to try to become what we want to be, assuming we either have the basic skills and talent or are somehow able to acquire them through training or hard work. Perhaps you dream of being a nurse, but if your brain is absolutely unable to grasp the, the math and science required in that first year of college, forget it, not gonna happen. But the freedom our founding fathers were talking about was something completely revolutionary at the time. They came up with the idea of regular people being free to actually choose, select their leaders, how their government would be ruled. And up until then through all of history, society had been ruled exclusively by those who had the power and didn't ever want to let go of it. They had the wealth to enforce their rules and beliefs on those who were under their control. That's very hip and in vogue with a large section of our population today to criticize the foundation of this nation. But we have to remember those leaders were building something from nothing, and they came from all different kinds of backgrounds. They didn't know the things that we know today in a lot of ways. They had many different ideas and beliefs and opinions. They knew they had to find a way to come together in a united front to even have a chance at this brand new form of self-government, which most the world did not believe could ever succeed. And they made mistakes from the very beginning. A lot of them, they fought like cats and dogs as far as arguing and things like that. Yet they were wise enough to know from the start that their plan was imperfect. And I believe you'll find that word in our founding documents, the Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. Got us started on the greatest social experiment in history. And in those documents, they built in the ability for our society to change, to adapt, to alter our laws as our nation grows and matures. The Bill of Rights was a perfect early example of that. And 220, uh, 244 years later, the United States is still involved in vigorous debate over the law of the land. Many believe God himself inspired and instructed those founders back then, giving them the strength and the courage to do something that was completely unimaginable to the rest of the world. For common men and women to be free to govern themselves. What a concept. 
Yet thousands of years before that, there was an even more revolutionary idea that humans could actually have a direct personal relationship with God, their creator, free for the asking, without being under the heavy burden known as the yoke of the law. Scripture talks a lot about being free. It teaches that true freedom comes not from the laws of man, but from God's hand. And we're going to read um, Galatians chapter 5 today. And I ask you to indulge me for three and a half minutes for something we don't probably do often enough. I want to read straight through the entire scripture I'm going to be sharing from today. And then we'll go back and talk about it little by little. Just listen along, please. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. I tell you this, if you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I say it again, if you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. What's important is faith expressing itself in love. You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he's the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who's been confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. For you've been called to live in freedom. Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. I know that's very long, but I wanted to read it as it would have been read to the church. Hey, Paul wrote us a letter. What's he have to say? So they heard it, and then they had to think about it. And that's what I want to do for the rest of our time. Verse 1, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Now, let me state that my message this morning is not all about circumcision, okay? <laughs> we're, we're going to hear Paul refer to it several more times in the next few minutes, and that subject was the basis of him writing this passage. But please understand that circumcision is just an image that he's using to talk about what was known very commonly then as the law. And one of the many rules of the Old Testament law was that a Jewish male had to be circumcised. And back in those days, it was, it was much easier to tell. It was much more obvious, uh, partly because of the use of public bathhouses. Very few, if anybody, had bathing facilities at home. So once a week, once a month, the guys go down to the bathhouse or the stream or the river. They strip down, walk around, clean up, go back to their little town. And it was easy to notice, hey, that guy's not circumcised. And that's not a perfect comparison, but I think of circumcision in the Old Testament as we think of baptism in the New Testament. It was an outward sign of an inward commitment. A circumcised male was telling the world that he was a Jew committed to following God's law. But what it represents here to Paul and to us is legalism, a heavy yoke of requirements that man was required to constantly carry on his shoulders, complex man-made rules piled on top of God's simple commandments. And we know God gave Moses Ten Commandments, right? But over the years, the religious establishment became legalist. They added hundreds and hundreds of rules, creating a huge burden on anyone who wanted to be right with God. And in the process, they made themselves powerful and self-important. When Jesus gave his life to die on the cross, the veil in the temple was immediately torn from top to bottom. That represented the end of separation between man and God. They no longer had to go to a priest to get to God. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for all of mankind, for all of history, including today for you and me. And in doing so, he freed us from all those burdensome requirements known as the law. Now, it's important to understand, he was not saying the Ten Commandments were bad or wrong or even unimportant. Jesus taught they were good. He actually made people think of them more deeply, more carefully than the original law had required. And there's one example 
in Matthew 5, 21, where he said, you've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. I'm just thinking of commuting on Paseo del Norte a couple times a week. God knew all along the commandments were impossible to follow perfectly. They were actually designed to show us we are helpless sinners. But now, through his new promise to us, this new covenant, there's a much better pathway to pleasing God. And while we are still helpless sinners, we are no longer hopeless sinners. And there's a big difference because now, instead of commanding us to follow all those rules perfectly without fail or you'll be cast into hell. God allows us to live a life trusting Jesus as Savior and loving Him so much that we're compelled to do kind and caring things that show love for others. Not as a way to show our goodness or to earn our way into heaven, but out of the true desire to exhibit our dedication to being more and more like Jesus. And the only way to do that is not through following the law, but through following the guidance of his Holy Spirit. Back to verse 5 in Galatians. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. What's important is faith expressing itself in love. Paul says we are saved by faith alone, not our goodness, not our works. What's important is a faith that expresses itself in love to God and through us to others. And then he talks about a problem that's come up since he left. Verse 7, you were running the race so well. Who's held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he's the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. In other words, getting the gospel a little bit wrong can ruin the whole message. Paul was referring to false teachers who came into the church right after he left saying, oh yeah, Jesus is good and all, but you have to still be circumcised or you can't worship him. They were called Judaizers, sort of saying, you know, that to be a good Christian, you still have to be a good Jew and you have to follow our rules. I always say that almost the moment the veil in the temple was ripped, the legalist immediately went to work trying to sew it back together again. William McDonald says, legalism requires us to keep the whole law. You can't accept just the easy commandments or reject some or all the others. If you attempt to please God by being circumcised, then you're under obligation to keep the entire law. Man is entirely under law or not under law at all. Otherwise, Christ's sacrifice has no value. Of course, circumcision wasn't the only thing. That's just what Paul used as an example. They didn't want Christians to eat pork. They didn't want uh, those who were Jewish to eat with Gentiles. 
on and on and on. Now, it might have been because the concept was so new to them. It, it was hard to believe. This is too easy. It's so different. How could, could it be true? But the problem really is it was false teaching, and God will not accept that. And therefore, we can't accept false teaching in our church in any shape or form. Other scripture teaches that any person who's called to become a teacher of God's word is held to a higher standard by the Lord himself. And believe me, that's very humbling. It's very frightening when you're trying to prepare a sermon. I pray that I would never teach anything that goes against Scripture. I literally get down on my knees before every session that I write. Before I, I came out here a few moments ago, I was on my knees asking God's Holy Spirit to give me a clear, basic understanding of the verses that, I, that I'm sharing from. Now, those early legalists weren't an accident. Most had a personal agenda. Some were agents of Satan himself who wanted to strangle the church in its infancy right at the beginning of its life. They thought, well, Jesus isn't here and Paul's gone. Let's get to work with the deception so we can build a base of power and take control. Verse 10, I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. You know, the same thing happens today. I think it's a lot worse, a lot more widespread today happens all the time in many, many different forms. It might be a good-looking, well-known pastor with big hair and a three-piece suit standing on the, on the platform in a mega-million-dollar church telling you that all you need to do is raise your hand for Jesus and you'll be wealthy and healthy and happy beyond understanding. When Jesus said, blessed are the poor and you will have trials and tribulations, or it might come from some of the many rich and famous who have such easy access to media. Famous people like Oprah, who knows so much more about Jesus than he does. She swears she's a Christian, but never misses a chance to proclaim to millions that there are many different pathways to eternity in heaven with God. Now, Oprah is much more talented and, 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 than, than I will ever be. And, and, and I'm sure she's a great person. But she's wrong when she says that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. So when we hear somebody doing false teaching, it's incumbent upon us as true believers to call it out. Another thing that happens all the time these days, people that want to, you know, be in our good graces but not, not be a churchgoer, they'll say, well, I'm a very spiritual person, which in many cases, even unknowing to them, really means I dabble with evil spirits. Paul refused to teach or accept any false teachings. Verse 11, dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. As Christians, it's our responsibility to know God's word well enough to recognize false teaching. And it's important to be in church. It's important to be in Bible study. But the only way we're going to know God's word well enough is by sticking our nose in his word each and every day. Even if it's just for a few minutes, you'd be amazed at the, the godly wealth and wisdom that you'll accumulate from a little bit of time in the Bible every day.
Now, we're going to have differences in opinions. That's not what I'm talking about. But we have to all come together under the big tent of the basic pillars of Christianity. And when we hear someone promoting falsehoods, whether it's in the church or outside, we need to do some spiritual circumcision ourselves and cut him off. And Paul continues to the part of his message that I chose to focus on today to tie in with the 4th of July, freedom. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Warren Wiersbe compares two equations, liberty plus love equals service to others. Liberty without love equals slavery to sin. Jesus died on the cross to set us free. And this has important implications for you and me. He paid for all we have with his own blood. So will we use his gift of our freedom to serve or to sin? This life offers so much more than becoming a better person so that we can evolve into a successful life. You know, Christians often do see their lives improve as a result of the powerful positive changes they make as they begin following Jesus but that's not our goal following Jesus and learning to live in his way is about so much more than getting ahead in this world and as our faith in Christ grows stronger so should our desire our need to love others caring for and sharing with those in need brings us much more joy than living for ourselves could ever produce. And don't think being in need just means the poor. There are plenty of middle class and wealthy who have huge spiritual needs, amazing spiritual poverty. And, and keep this in mind, if God has ever touched your heart, prompted you to do some of those things, but you've put it off, just know that you're guilty of sin. It's called the sin of omission. Now, I'm not being a legalist. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm encouraging you to use the freedom that Christ has given you at every opportunity to love on others in the same way that Jesus loves on you. A faithful follower of Christ will reach out to others well outside of their comfort zone, those of different races, different religions, beliefs, and backgrounds. Even Democrats and Republicans and Republicans and Democrats, imagine that. We cannot limit our love and care to those who agree with us perfectly on every point. There's nobody to agree with. Rose and I, this week, we've been married for 27 years, and we, we discovered we can't even agree on the same way to boil water on the stove. And while other scriptures make it clear that those in the church come first, for our love and our care that in no way can be where we draw the line jesus hung out with the sinners for his time they were called horrible people or those people those who were not living lives even close to godly guidelines he never put them down looked at them as unworthy of his love and neither can we those sinners were good enough for jesus and he set a beautiful example for you and me now beware, as we become more faithful to God's word, it's too easy, it's almost natural to become critical of others, self-righteous, 
unbending, demanding, even to those within our own church. I often say that the church is famous for shooting its own. We eat our young, so to speak. And Paul talks about in verse 15, if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. It's our self. It's our sinful nature. We're born desperately wanting whatever it is we crave at the moment. We can't help it. Babies, tiny children automatically know to scream and throw tantrums to get what they want, even when it's not good for them or dangerous. A two-year-old will have a fit. Ah, but I want to stick this screwdriver in that electric socket, Dad. And for many, it doesn't really change that much. As we grow older, we just get better at hiding it and disguising it, right? When we allow him to, God's Holy Spirit guides us away from wrong desires through his supernatural power. And this gives us the desire to rein in our sin, to slow it down and turn it around. The change inside us is uh, not normally immediate. It's not usually fast and it's rarely easy it's an ongoing war between how we are when we're born how we are when we're saved and how we will be through jesus shaping by the time we die to this life but here paul makes it clear it's an ongoing battle in our hearts and the only way we can win is by being born again if you've asked jesus to be your lord and savior his Holy Spirit is willing to be constantly at work inside your heart, showing you how to begin and eventually win your constant war with sin. You don't really have to do anything except listen and cooperate. Now, it's perfectly natural to want to do evil things. And day by day, as believers, we learn to master the supernatural way to always make the choices that are right in God's sight it's a it's a learning curve but it's not going to happen if we try to do it on our own strength as I said we have to be available and obedient but to realize that we're totally incapable of doing this alone no matter how many self-help books or, or, or DVDs or YouTube videos we've devoured we can't accomplish this through trying harder to be a good person no problem Paul has the answer in verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the, uh, the Holy Spirit wants. These two forces are con constantly fighting each other, and your choices are never free from this conflict. You know, elsewhere in Scripture, in Romans, Paul once said, I do things I know I shouldn't do, and I don't do things I know I should, and I do it over and over. Sound familiar? Yeah, because that's us. It's our nature. Mr. Wiersbe reminds us, Paul wasn't denying that there's victory. He was just pointing out that we can't win the victory in our own strength by our own will. And God gives us free will, the freedom to choose. He could have made us robots that obeyed his every command. Instead, he allowed us the freedom to decide if we'll follow him or follow our own natural desires. 
Back to Galatians 5.18. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Just sounds like a Friday night binge-watching Netflix, right? And by the way, in the Old Testament language, that word sorcery translated today would include things that we refer to as witchcraft, superstitions. They seem so innocent, don't they? Horoscopes. The use of non-medical or so-called recreational drugs. And this subject is personal for me because it sounds like my autobiography, the story of my adult life before I gave my heart to Christ. Not until I was 33, and it was anything but pretty. I knew better. I was raised in the church. I've, I've taught about it before. I don't want to go into that today, but basically I used my freedom in the wrong way to deny God and do whatever I wanted to do for 20 years. And 1 Corinthians 6:12 says, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Our freedoms very often can lure us into slavery. Wrong behaviors repeated over a period of time become bad habits. And bad habits very often turn into addictions that are no different than slavery. Even Christians make the mistake of doing things they know aren't wise just because they're allowed to. Well, I have this freedom in Christ. I'm okay. Something suddenly becoming legal or acceptable in society doesn't make it right in God's sight. Whether it's a behavior you've never tried that sounds intriguing or an old habit you think you defeated long ago, why take the risk? Why give it? A foothold and it goes all over the place including our relationships that relationship with someone of the opposite sex that might potentially be dangerous probably already is is it worth all you stand to lose and abusing this precious gift of freedom makes you a slave to sin and never forget that every one of us are susceptible to sliding all the way down that slippery slope the best way to keep it from ever happening is to stay far away from the edge to begin with. Just because we're allowed to go there doesn't mean we should. Being addicted to anything is the same as being a slave to it, and it can such a wide range, alcohol, drugs, sex, money, power, prestige, pride, do pages of it. And I promise what I'm about to say is going to make some people very mad but God put it on my heart to share what I believe to be the truth. And I'll just ask you to, to listen and to consider and to pray about it. Because God made it clear to me that somebody here today needs to hear this. For maybe 10, 12 years of the 20 years that I was a, a user, I was horribly addicted to pot. I had to have it multiple times every single day flat out addicted yet people who don't know me who don't know 
anything about what I went through, wanting desperately to quit for over two years, trying to do it on my own before I knew Jesus as Lord and Savior, they'll tell me, you're lying, that's impossible. Marijuana is not addictive. Like they went through my experience. I suffered physically and so much psychologically. It was horrible. And I, I, I had a diagnosis from a doctor. Side note, I will not get into a debate with anybody who wants to tell me how wonderful cannabis is. I understand that there are those who use it to relieve pain, to help deal with medical conditions, just like some people do, properly or improperly, with alcohol or prescription drugs. And I understand that just as with those two substances, not everyone who uses becomes addicted as I did, but I did. And way too many become addicted to those things. And there are a wide variety of well-written scientific articles showing abundant evidence of pot being problematic in multiple ways. First, it is a gateway drug. It leads to use of other harder drugs, as it did for my brother, who died from a meth addiction, of causing widespread varieties of psychosis in many different forms from clinical depression as I had to things much, much worse. I've seen it with so many of the young men that I've mentored through youth detention facilities over the years. And now here, after years of lobbying and millions of dollars from investors, it's legal in New Mexico. That doesn't make it good or right, but there are so many things that can turn us into slaves, simple natural things that are designed to be good and even be beautiful. Things that God designed for our pleasure like food and sex. Scripture says food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. You can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord and the Lord cares about our bodies. Don't you realize your bodies are actually parts of Christ? The person who is joined to another person sexually, according to Scripture, is one in spirit with that person. And to God, that's no different than what we refer to today as friends with benefits. Casual sex has been around for decades since I was a teenager. And, and believe me, it can be just as damaging to you and others as any drug. Scripture says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. That was another long time addiction I struggled with. But now I know Jesus. And I'm a much different person now. And thank to God's guidance and grace and patience. I'm not the same, but I am still a horrible sinner. And I still struggle with a lot of those things in the big list from just a few minutes ago. And you know, we can laugh about ourselves, our inherent human nature, but sin's not funny and God will not wink at it. With the help and the support of the Holy Spirit, I've been able to walk away from a lot of the habits and behaviors that 
caused so many of my major issues. And it's been way different when I went through this with, with the pot because I have the Holy Spirit now and he has melted my desire for those things. Not completely free. They still pop up. My nature of sin always wants to pull me in again. Just as Paul described, it's this ongoing war and we never know when there's going to be a guerrilla attack around the corner. So we have to be aware. We have to constantly be on alert for temptation and attacks. Let me go back to the original scripture, verse 21. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. I promise, many people who claim to be followers of Jesus are living lives absolutely filled with some or all of those things, and it hurts my heart. It makes me afraid for them. Is any of the pleasure or status or power that you feel from those activities, those habits, that slavery, in any way, shape, or form worth trading for your eternity in heaven with God himself? Oh, yeah, this sounds like fun. Here's my kingdom promises. Take my rewards. I don't need them. Paul encourages us to use our freedom for the good of our relationship with God and others, to be a slave to Him. Verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So we have to do an honest assessment for ourselves, and that's not always easy, but it's so important. Do we possess and exhibit those traits in ourselves? Are they character qualities that others would recognize in us if they were asked? How often, how consistently do those things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, how often do they appear in us and make themselves visible to others? Because that's spiritual fruit appearing in your life and that's why we are here on this earth as Christians today it's inspiring to those outside the church who aren't believers it's encouraging to those inside who do believe and see you and desire to follow your example he can do it she can do it wow I can do it too. I'll never forget the first time I saw a man who wasn't a pastor stand up and preach a message and I was, I didn't know that was even legal and I was so impressed and it's like, wow, that was amazing. That was beautiful. God, I wonder if I could ever do something like that. But most importantly, spiritual fruit brings glory to God. And that's why we're here. We are here to make him famous. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous. Giving your life to Christ means being willing to give up the sinful behaviors we've often become very attached to. And it's almost never easy to do. It's usually Painful, and that's why I love this imagery of nailing our sinful nature to the cross. Jesus took the spikes, piercing his body. 
And for believers, His Holy Spirit helps us kill our evil desires and habits. And it's a critically important thing to give the Holy Spirit free reign, complete control. We can't try to hide certain behaviors or activities or thoughts and think that God doesn't know. It's ridiculous to think that. And it just prevents us from becoming who we were created to be. Hidden pockets of sin allow the deadly infection within to spread into everything we do while following the leading of the Holy Spirit sets us free. So we are free to be whatever God has called us to in this life. And to me, it's critically important we use our freedoms properly. We still have the freedom to gather together at church, to worship the Lord, to read His scriptures out loud from the pulpit here and on radio and television, to post scriptures and devotionals on, online, the freedom to speak our mind, express our thoughts and beliefs, to share the good news. But do we use that freedom honestly? Very often? Very openly, thousands in our history have fought and died for our freedom to do these things, but there are many in our society today who are doing their best to strangle Christianity, to circumcise it, to cut it off from mainstream society. Now, we're not called to hate them or treat them as enemies, even though they are enemies of our faith. We are to love them and to pray for them. Now, we know, but we don't really think about it much. There are many nations around the world where it's illegal to even be a Christian, to attend church, even illegal to host a Bible study in your own home. Do we ever stop to think of them? Do we pray for them on a daily basis? I've often pointed out that in most of Europe and all of Canada, it's now actually illegal to read certain scriptures from the pulpit of your church because it's been labeled unfairly and inaccurately as hate speech. And don't think it can happen here. There are those going to work openly and behind the scenes to restrict what we are allowed to say. And there are more and more people in our society who just want the church to go away. So let us all commit to pray. Let us pray freely, fervently, and often. And open. Pray for all those who are persecuted as Christians. Pray for, the, pray for the courage and conviction to share your faith that we would learn to eagerly and generously use the freedom we have now, both through our Constitution and through our relationship with Jesus, to share his word with everyone we know. Because through our faith in Jesus, we are free to be the children of God that he created each and every one of us to be. Please join me in prayer. Great Almighty God, thank you so much for your presence here today. Thank you for the freedoms in this nation. Lord, thank you for forgiving us when we fall short, giving us a chance again and again. Father God, we just ask you to bless us with your favor, with your protection this weekend. Help us to think about this message as it pertains to each of us individually because every person in this room hears it differently. And your Holy Spirit will put it to work for each and every one of us in the way that you desire. We love you and we praise you, Jesus. And we're so glad that you are here as our Lord and Savior. And it is in your holy name that we This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. 
From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.